on digital radio across the UK, online and in your ears right now. Welcome to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Hello and welcome to Hometown Glory Series 2. I'm Jeff Lloyd and in this series I'll be wandering around the streets that famous British faces grew up on, accompanied by those famous faces on their respective streets. Although not really, we're doing it virtually using Google Maps because we're not made of money. I'm delighted to say that Sky One is the new sponsor of Hometown Glory. It's right up our street. You know, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you'll be particularly impressed, I think, with the skill in which I tied our sponsor into the message of our show there by using the phrase right up our street. Um, I genuinely couldn't be any more thrilled to have Sky One on board. They are, of course, the place for homegrown British comedy, drama and entertainment alongside the most popular shows from the United States. Stuff like Stan Lee's Lucky Man. Now, this launched as Sky's most watched original drama series today, and it is a fantastic idea. So in an interview, somebody asked the legendary Stan Lee, co-creator of Spider-Man, the Hulk, Black Panther, the X-Men, and, and so many iconic Marvel characters, they asked him, what superpower would you most like to have? And he said, look, and that is the premise of this show. It stars James Nesbitt as a murder squad detective who is granted the power to control look. You can watch this and all of Sky One's other great shows by going to unionjack.co.uk where you can win SkyQ free for a year. Now, Union Jack as a station celebrates the best of British music, comedy, everything in between music and comedy. We don't pick any of the songs though. You do, the listeners. You need to grab the Union Jack app and you can see the songs jumping up and down in real time. The one at the top plays next and you get to put it there. But for this show, we like to take a breather from that and get to know a British icon. And you don't get much more British or iconic than our guest today. He is punk royalty. And yes, I do realise there's a slight irony in that. He was the Sex Pistols bass player. He's got a lovely goatee. It's Glenn Matlock. Paddington, London. The land was granted to some monks by King Edgar the Peaceful. He sounds like a piece of work, wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him. Over the years, Paddington has become synonymous with Isambard Kingdom Brunel's magnificent railway station. And with a little bear from Peru. Paddington's had more than its fair share of non-Ursine famous natives, though. People born here include athlete Chris Akabusi, star of the screen, Joan Collins. It's all mine, Blake, and I have the papers to prove it. I bought all of your holdings, including this house. And, surprisingly, Keitha Sutherland. Is that going to be good enough for you? It's also the birthplace and hood of my guest today, Glenn Matlock. Glenn was the original bass player in the Sex Pistols and co-wrote most of the songs on their classic album, Never Mind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols. And we don't care! 
Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and with the help of an iPad and Google Maps, I'm about to take Glenn Matlock time-travelling to the streets where he grew up in Union Jack's hometown glory. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about the, the streets you grew up on. So give me the hospital you were born in first. St Mary's Paddington. Which is where the royal family have taken to having babies these I days. I weren't in that bit, I know. <laughs> and and um, the bit I was born in was actually they moved it. It used to be a bit further up near our road police station, which probably says a lot about me. So I'm from Cancer Green, which is up the Harrow Road. So when, when you were taken, the first house you were taken home to, what was that address? Raven, 18 Ravensworth Road, Cancer Green. Can you describe it to me? Two up, two down. We lived upstairs. Tim Bath. We lived there for many years at rental. And um, then my dad finally bought the house. He got offered it for £1,800 in about 1971. Too much money and he dallied for a year and then it, he got it for 2400 quid. And then we had the whole house, and we didn't know what to do with it, so we still lived upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> but what was good, though, my nan lived at 28, and she had an old piano, and she let us have that, and I used to play, try and play the piano. Is it from what age? 12 or something right. like that. And have you got brothers oh, and sisters? No. So you're an only child? Only child, but that's hardly my fault. What did your parents do for a living? My dad, in his early years, he just had a load of factory jobs, and then he ended up working for Rolls-Royce. He used to build the phantom cars. He was a um, coach builder, they, they call it, and he'd do all the, the wooden structure inside the bit that they'd come and put the skins on. But he built the kind of cars that um, the Queen drives around him. Wow. What, what? And also, there was a royal visit, and somewhere, he's passed away now, but I must dig it out, there's a picture of him with Princess Margaret in her <laughs> younger days. When she was chatting swinging. to my dad, yeah, yeah. And then he got me a job there in the summerologies, which I got my first base cabinet out of. And I was in the accounts department. But then he had this extra job. The Rolls-Royce he worked for was a coach building for them. But then he got his side job doing up an old Rolls-Royce 2025, I think it was, from the 30s. Because a lot of it was wood. It was made out of ash. You know, yeah, yeah. It was good with his hands. And I think Mick Jagger bought the car. Is that right? Yeah. What were, the, what were the perks for you as a kid of having a dad who worked in a Rolls-Royce factory? Because my, my dad was a postman, so I'd get a lot of free elastic bands and I'd get to ride around in the post office van from time to time. Were there any any stuff your dad would get you from the factory? Well, I think the biggest thing you got, I mean, he made me a toboggan out of wood, right, when it snowed and we went out on it, but he forgot to put the runners on it. So it was made out of... Not chipboard, but blockboard, and it got sodden, and it just didn't go down the hill. And you could tell I was really not that happy. So he went and made me a kind of a tubular steel one, which I've still got. Really? From a little one. Um, but it's made out of Rolls-Royce bits, so I've got a Rolls-Royce toboggan <laughs> in the attic. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and it's a bit like that Johnny Cash song. One piece at a time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind of thing. Getting one piece for the factory. And then, it, yeah. oh, then also, in the hard rock in London... It's got my old guitar, and it's got the guitar that my mum and dad bought me when I was about 10, which is an acoustic guitar, and it's got pride of place in the vault. And there's, there's um, Les Paul's Les Paul, there's Jimmy Page's Flying V, John Entwistle's bass, all around, ranged around this safe, because it used to be a vault in the, an old bank building. It looks like it's had the doors blown off, and it's the acoustic guitar that my mum and dad bought, and it's a plank. I got it out, <laughs> I went there, I showed my kids it, and... I got it out, and you can hardly play it. But I hadn't learned to play it. So instead of learning to play it, my dad got me brought back from Rolls-Royce a load of burr walnut. So I covered it in that with fish glue, which stinks. You have to cook it up in a <laughs> saucepan and stuff. 
instead of learning to apply it. And then it's not on it anymore because I took it off. And then, you know, that little twiddly bit around the around the sound hole, it has a little design on it. I yeah. just, just drew it in and by wrote Fred. What sort of a kid were you? What, you, what were you into? Uh, football, music. Which was your team? Charlie, Queen's Park Rangers. Still is. Through thick and thin. Yeah. Rangers till I die. Would your dad take you to see him? Yeah, we used to go. Although he used to leave me down a boys pen and go and have a laugh with his mates up, up in the loft. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I started watching them, I, it was when they was in the third division and they won the third division, won the League Cup, went up to the second division and went up into the first division, which was the top one back then, in consecutive seasons. And you were thinking, this is how it's always going to be. <laughs> Yeah, well, we've better. had our ups and downs, mainly downs, but quite a few ups. And that was when Rodney Marsh was in the team. And I actually spoke to him about this. Rodney, right, great to speak to you. You know, I've always been a fan. But how about this for a goal that never was? Because I thought, I've got to change the subject. And he said, what? And I said, well, I saw you in a midweek third division match. You won a penalty. You put the ball on the spot. You walked back, adjusted your boots, run up, swung at it. Goalkeeper saved. But the goalkeeper didn't save the ball because... You hadn't kicked it. Somehow he'd saved your boot, which had come off. And he went, oh, yeah, I remember that. I said, what? Well, do I remember that right? And he said, yeah, no, that's right. And I said, well, while he's lying on the ground with the boot in his hand, looking <laughs> yeah, astonished, yeah, yeah. you slotted the ball in the other corner because you hadn't kicked it. And I said, do I remember that right? And he said, no, that's right. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, the referee didn't really know what to do, but he made me take it again, and I scored, right? And I said, did you do it deliberately? And he went... Might have. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the players used to come and take us for football at school. I went to Clement Danes and Jude Game Road. Was that your primary school? No, that was my my secondary school. And we used to go running around Wormwood Scrubs, and there's a little lane that goes down the Wormwood Scrub side of Wormwood Scrubs Prison. And it had um, security cameras on the top. And as we run past mid-morning, they would wiggle, and it was because one of the kids' dads was a screw working there, and he recognised his son, and he was sort of waving... <laughs> It's all a bit odd, you know. <laughs> what was your What was your primary school? In In Cancer Green, Princess Frederica Church of England Junior Mixed and Infants. What were your memories of the teachers there? Um, it was kind of all right. What so, I do remember about the school actually is um, it was very, pretty much half and half mixed West Indian sons of immigrants kind of school, and the whole neighbourhood was. I mean. Kensal Green is the top of, of Labrick Grove, Portobello Roadway. Um, and, and that's where there was a lot of Caribbean immigration in the 50s. Yeah, exactly. You know, in the summer, all the windows would be open, there'd be Blue Beat and Scar pumping out. And one of my best mates at school, Denzel Elaine, who I still bump into every now and then, his mum and dad split up, sadly, and she took in lodgers, and um, she took in this guy, I don't think he was an original member, but he was involved in the Scatolites. Really? And he used to come and play football in the street. And we used to knock on him regularly. But one time he said, yeah, me come out, play football in half an hour when we finish with these two white women now. Right, okay. <laughs> so it was a bit of an education round there. Was it well integrated at school? Yeah, we all used to play British Bulldog. God, British Bulldog, that was a that was a violent <laughs> yeah, game. Yeah, I think yeah. it got black banned in a lot of Maybe, schools. Yeah. That, yeah. Were you well behaved? What's the most trouble you remember being in? Well, a bit later on, I remember being at school in the sixth form doing um, A-level maths and there'd been like a bank holiday and this was around about the time that um, Bowie had appeared on the telly and I'd gone out over the bank holiday period and I'd had a, a red flash put in the front of my hair. 
Now, at my school, it was like in the 70s, everybody but everybody was trying to have long hair, but I was really down on it. And everybody had sort of like budgy kind of 70s haircuts that stopped at the collar and they just looked stupid. So I just thought I'd have a decent haircut and I was getting into the faces and the Ronnie Lane look kind of then. But then Bowie come inside so a red flash put in my hair. But I remember one Monday or Tuesday morning we went in and Mr Palmer, who took us for maths, writing all this algebra on the board, which I was really struggling to keep up with. Writing on the board, everybody scribbling that. And he kept looking round at my hair but because I had short hair, he couldn't say anything about it. I thought, great, got you. Yes, <laughs> Were you ever, like, caned or slippered or any of those things? No, the only time I did get sent... I got the slipper a few times. I got sent for the cane once. I must be the luckiest man in the world because I got yet to go to the headmaster's office and you knock on the door and you say, come in, and you had to say why you'd been sent and ask for the cane. But as I knocked on the door and came in, there was a charity walk coming up. And um, as I walked in, you know, like really dreading getting the cane for the first time ever, he went, oh, Sonny, come in. And his, he had the most unfortunate name for the headmaster of a boys' school because his name was Dr Badcock. We used to call him the Sith. And he was having a meeting with the governors. And as I came in, he said, oh, he said, uh, young Matlock, I suppose you've come to ask me to sponsor you for the for the charity walk that's coming up. And I'm going... Hey, yeah, he said, look, you probably haven't got your forms with you. Um, <laughs> and he signed this piece of paper to show off in front of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the things. And I'm like, what? And then I went back and told the teacher. And I'm like, he said, you get the cane? I said, no, no, he gave me 10 pence a month. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a theory that those those jobs, teacher, park keeper, they, for a long time they attracted the sort of people who seem to despise children. That's true, yeah, but... I'm sure we gave them all hell. Yeah. You know, I'm sure everybody does, and I'm sure everybody starts off with the best of good intentions and slowly... I remember there being a fight after school, like an organised fight, and some of the older teachers wore gowns. They didn't have to, but they just were from the 30s. And there was one guy who had his hair pulled right... You know, swept right back, and he had, like, a widow's peak and sort of yellowing, kind of sticky-out teeth a little bit. And his nickname was Drac. You know, Dracula. And he looked like Vincent... No, Peter Cushion or something yeah, like yeah. that. And there was a lookout for this fight, and they said, look out, Drac's coming. And I know as, as he walked down the corridor, he queuing up for lunch, everybody goes, he loved it. <laughs> but he came in and somebody said, look out, Drac's coming. And he came in a room and swirled his cane, and it's too late, Drac's here. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, when you think about the TV being on, what are the earliest programmes you remember watching? Well, I think the best programme ever was Ready, Steady, Go. I think that was the best. This is the pop Rock. music show in the 60s? Yeah. It was fantastic, you know, you have the Beatles on, the Small Faces and the Arbors and the Stones and Dusty Springfield and she brought all the Tamla Motown and the soul music to England, you know, and Smokey Robinson and uh, Junior Walker and Sam Cooke. And this was a country that was starved of pop music, you didn't have radio well, one and, then. Until then, yeah. yeah. No, there was no radio, there was the pirate stations. So when this stuff would come on, what, one, once a week, was it? Yeah, it was Friday night. Yeah. And it started with um, Manfred Mann. Five, four, three, two, one. Da, 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 da. A weekend starts here, would say Kathy McGowan or Keith Skews, and then that would be, yeah, it was great. And was that what woke up your interest in music? Pretty much, I think. That and the, the pirate radio stations, and kind of getting a guitar when I was about 10. Where did the guitar come from? Christmas present. On the knot, I think. What, what was the first thing you learned to play on it? 
Bobby Shafto, as everybody does, from Burt Whedon's Plan a Day book. Oh, yeah, it was a, t- a tune a day or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah Plan yeah. a Day, and then the, the follow up is a tune a day, but I never graduated to that, and I don't know if I still have. <laughs> <laughs> at what point did you start playing music with other people? Well, it's kind of funny. There was a mate at school, ironically, his name is Steve Jones, but it's a different Steve Jones, and he was learning the guitar, and he was a week ahead of me, so one week. He'd have learnt an A chord, and then he'd show me that, and then next week he'd learnt a D chord, you know, and then he'd show me that. So I kind of learnt through him, really. And and then I started working for Malcolm McLaren and his teddy bear shop down at King's Road, and that's where I met Stephen Paul, who already sort of had a, a band going. So how did that come about, working in the shop then? I went down there one day, and I kind of liked this place, and it, I walked in, and it was like walking into your granny's front room. I had a radiogram and... And I was sort of hanging around a bit too much, and I'd been working at this place called Whiteley's, where I'd made a right ricket the week before. And this is only like part time at weekends for me, beer money and going to gig money. And um, I made a right ricket, and I knew I knew if I went back the next week, I'd be for the eye jump. This is Whiteley's department store. Yeah, it, in, in Queen, Queensway. Bayswood, yeah, yeah Bayswood, Queensway. Do you know it's one of Adolf Hitler's favourite buildings? I've heard that. And that was where he was planning on having his headquarters. Well, you don't say this about him much, but good for you, Adolf. <laughs> good taste in buildings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so I'm in the shop, and I was spending a bit too long in there without buying anything. And the bloke said, well, can I help you? And I said, yeah, you don't need anybody to work here, do you? And the guy said, he said, well, t- to be honest, I'm, I'm leaving at the weekend. Call this bloke up. And so I called the number, and it was Mountain McLaren. I got a job there, and I started the following week. Doubled me money. Stephen Paul used to come in, and I... I met them through that. And then I, I worked there full-time. Um, you know, I remember the door opening once um, Mick Ronson and Ian Hunter came in. Uh-huh. And I sold Mick Ronson. Have you ever seen that movie, Ronaldo and Clara, which is dreadful? It's four hours, it's no. four hours long and it's four hours too long. <laughs> but in it, he plays, as well as being in the band, this wacky movie, Ronaldo and Clara... Bob Dylan plays Ronaldo. Somebody else plays Bob Dylan. In it, Mick Ronson plays a security guard and he wears the pink loafers that I sold him in Let It Rock. Wow. And after I'd sold him, he had very small feet. What age did you get into clothes then? Was that from watching David Bowie or other rock stars? That a little bit. There's a tail end of, I wasn't one, but the tail end of the skinhead thing, you know, with stayed pressed trousers and button-down shirts and... Well, then I kind of got into the faces thing, you know, that was kind the of... The mod look. Well, yeah, when it became a bit more flowery and everything, maybe looking back, it's the time that style forgot, as they say. But some people look cool, isn't it? But what I liked, you know, faces would get their clothes from Granny Takes a Trip, which was down the road from Malcolm's, and he was mates with theirs, of theirs, and so I kind of knew him a bit. But some people looked great in that stuff, like the faces, and some people... We'd get the their ver- cheaper version of it from Carnaby Cavern and they'd look like complete and utter plonkers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and you realise that some people have got it and some people Yeah, aren't. yeah, yeah. What was your, uh, what was your local cinema when you were, in a te- when you were a teenager? Um, Cancel Rise. There was two, the Odeon. The Odeon was a bit down market, so that's the one I went to. You know, Saturday morning pictures kind of thing. Was that raucous? That was, yeah. They used to have twisting competitions and all that, that lot. And then, Did you that, ever enter a twisting competition? Yeah, I think I was up there doing it. I didn't get very far. And then you go and see a movie later on with your mum and dad, and they always used to go after dinner and go down, and we'd get there halfway through the movie, watch the mo- the end of the movie, 
sit there through the advert and the trailer and then watch the first bit of the movie and it'll be about 10 minutes. Have we seen this bit yet? And, be so- <laughs> no, and then we'd leave. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Were, they, were they sneaking in without paying them? No, no, no. They just turn up late. I think it was a thing back from when they were kids, you know, and there wasn't yeah, really TV, yeah. and you just went when you went. And, you, and then also there was another uh, cinema up in Olsden, which we used to call the Flea Pit, and it was. And on a Sunday afternoon, you, it was next to Salvation Army Hall, and you could hear the band strike up. I remember seeing Guns of Navarone there. But later on, The Clash played there, and I went to the same place. And that was kind of a bit of a weird sort of intertwining of two, two things. And the Buzzcock supported them. And it was their first gig, I think, or certainly their first London show, when Pete Shelley was singing as opposed to Howard Devoto. And Mick Jones said to me, he said, Howard's here, go and say hello. And I said, where is he? He said, upstairs, you'll find him. So I saw him and I went and it was in the summer, right? And I saw him and he was sort of hiding in plain sight with a big overcoat on with a colour turned up and a big hat over him. And he went, hello, Glenn. How did you recognise me? I said, because you're the only one in disguise, mate. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first gig you remember going to? Got some tickets out of the back of Melody Maker for nothing and I saw Pentangle at the Royal Albert Hall. Pentangle? Yeah, but I, it was cool. I'm glad I went to see them. But Pentangle are sort of a bit druidy, weirdy bit. Well, no, they was folky, but they had, you know, looking back, they had like John Ramble on guitar and Danny Thompson on bass and maybe Dave Maddox and drums. But I kind of heard of them because there was a TV show called Take Three Girls and the theme tune was by them. Right. One of the other earliest gigs I went to, I got involved in Humble Pie and I saw them support Grand Funk Railroad in I Park for free. Wow. Do you remember your first underage drinking? Yeah, Mason's Arms on the arrow road. And later years, I remember when I was a young lad, one of the road streets around the corner, a rumour went out that the small faces were going to take this girl out. And the girl who lived there, who was maybe 10 years older than us, so like we're 10, she's getting on for 20, was Sandy Sargent, who was a dancer on Ready Steady Go. And one of the faces is going to come, the small face is going to come and take her out. And we all went to watch. Nothing really happened, but then they came out finally. And that was that. And it was Ian McGlagan. And I met Ian McGlagan. He played with my band of Rich Kids, which was the band I after had, had after the Sex Pistols. And then I played with the faces. And he said, well, where are you from exactly? And I said, well, up the Arrow Road. And he said, well, I used to live there. And I said, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, we'd come round, you'd one of you guys took out Sandy Sargent, was it you? And he said, yeah. He said, not only that, I lived there. He said, I used to drink in the Masons. That's all I had my first... <laughs> it was kind of funny. Yeah, know? yeah. Have what a life you've led, that, that the, the, the small faces and the faces were these heroes of yours and you ended up playing with them. Yeah, it's just why it went really. You know. Yeah. Who was your first crush? Bailey Mills. In which film? Swiss Family Robinson. Right. Right, that was that. And again, over the years, I've managed to meet some people like that. And I met her one time, something, and she was lovely. But then I went to Premier, and there was a do afterwards. Ailey Mills was there. Ailey Mills was there, and she sort of half remembered me. And I had my picture taken with her. And I actually was proud enough to put it up on Facebook because guys of my age would know what, all, what it was all about. And I said, my first love starved but the first response was from her son Crispin oh from Cooper Shaker yeah and said there you go mum what are you doing with that old 
Tell me about the album. How long you've been working on it for? Well, it was it was the album was done about a year and a half, two years ago. Now it's about a funny old time for older blokes like me getting records out, but we got there and now we're finally good to go, which is why I called the album "Good to Go." And I didn't want to make yet another sort of punky sounding album. If I'm going to do that, I'll do that with the Sex Pistols. And I got up in the morning, and there was a code to get in the to make a cup of coffee and I didn't know what the code was because I, I forgot to ask the night before and I'm just sitting there and a deer wandered past <laughs> while I'm waiting for someone to come and open the door up to get me coffee. It was looking for a cup of coffee as well. It probably was, yeah. 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 And are you out at the festivals this summer? Not too many, but I am very... Next week, I'm actually... I don't know when this is going out, but I'm going to Korea and I'm playing... I've been invited to play at the Peace Train Festival, which is right on the demilitarized zone. Wow. Between North and South Korea. How did that come about? Somebody I knew, and it was already happening, and I said, oh, that sounds like fun. They said, well, do you, you want to go? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And this was all before the Trump-Kim Jong-un meeting, and it was going to be an anti-North sort of Korea thing, as I understand it, and now it's turned into a, a peace. Wow, I mean, have you ever done so, anything in that part of the world before? I've been to Japan a lot, but I've never been to... And I've sat in Hong Kong Airport on the way to... Australia quite a few times, but no, so... so... So go on then, if you could revisit any of the places we've talked about, any of the streets you grew up on, as they were then, like, what would you love to see again? Which building would you love to go in again? I don't know, that I'm that desperate to go in any of those. Really. You're not nostalgic? No, I mean, it's not far from where I live now, and I go past there, and I'm, I'm not sort of unacquainted with it all. And Going to Mason's Arms is... I kind of do when I buried my mum and buried my dad. We had to sort of wait there. Glenn, thank you so much for, for taking us around your hometown. Thank you very much. Only on Union Jack. You're listening to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. And that's that, a trip down memory lane with Mr Glenn Matlock. Thanks so much to listening with your ears to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. The next show is in two weeks' time. And it's a swing from the best of British music to the best of British comedy. It's outnumbered creator and all-round lovely chap Andy Hamilton. I'll be back in two weeks' time, so we'll speak then. Thanks for listening. Bye. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. A trip down memory lane with Britain's best-loved comedians. (laughs) 